Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, welcome in to the Nick Ba podcast. And there's a lot of things going on in the world of sports, both nationally, locally. We've got a handful of things I want to dive into before we get into our great conversation with Mr. Tim Brando. Uh, real quick, though, I really want to give everyone a big shout out and a thank you. We're about a month into the podcast uh, being launched. The reaction's been awesome. Uh, I sincerely appreciate anybody that has taken the time out to listen, to make me a part of your weekly routine, to anyone that has subscribed to the podcast, downloaded the podcast, rated the podcast, reviewed the podcast, all that stuff really, really helps. Uh, But make sure if you haven't just click that little subscribe button right there. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the Nick Bob podcast. Uh, we're just getting started, baby. I have absolutely loved doing this, and I can't wait to uh, continue to kind of grow. And like I said in the first pod, you know, continue to kind of take uh, a journey with each other through this uh, this this podcast thing. So uh, I'm going to get to to Adrian Martinez in a second, but the the big news this week, uh, potentially the beginning of altering college. Uh, athletics as we kind of know it. It started with California passing legislation allowing student athletes to profit off their own name and image and likeness. Uh, Now, this won't go into effect, at least in the state of California, until 2023. But since that announcement from California, eight other states now have or are considering following suit. So... This isn't a new conversation, but this is a big, big development of getting the ball rolling. And, and to me, this whole thing feels like not a matter of if, but when the, the NCAA is going to have to fully react and adjust. And that's the thing. You know, I mean, the reality is a lot of great businesses and entities and people or groups of people you have to be willing to be flexible and be willing to adapt. Look at Blockbuster Video and different things. There, there's so many different different businesses, entities that just weren't willing to see what's coming, adapt, get ahead of it. And whether the NCAA likes it or not, I think they're absolutely going to get backed into a corner and have to alter their name, image, and likeness policies with student-athletes. I just You can kick and scream all you want, but I think that is a reality that is coming down the pike. Uh, first of all, with, with this, I, I, I hate the way people speak in such hyperbole about this specific topic, and it's really on both sides. Like sometimes Twitter's just I can't take it. Like those that are against athletes getting paid act like we are literally going to ruin the world if a college athlete can make money off themselves. Like the world's just gonna it's just gonna be horrible. There's gonna be fires everywhere, and there's the whole infrastructure of our society is gonna go to crap. I mean, get the fuck out of here. 
And then the other side of it is just as overly dramatic. Like these college athletes are, are starving to death. They're on the street corners uh, asking for change and dying because they can't have an autograph session or endorse a local car company or something like that. I mean, it, it, g- relax, everyone. Relax. And secondly, the, the way I see it, this whole thing, is I think it's important to remember with, with this whole situation, with what California did. All this is doing is restoring the rights of athletes to control their own name, image, and likeness, just like everyone else in the world. Like, that. that's it. So before I give my take on it, remember, just to just breathe. It'll all be okay. Breathe. So with this topic, and it's funny, we have this, we, we kind of have this unspoken rule in the media that when there is a story or a topic, you have to pick a side and you have to go 100% all in on that side and you have to hate the other side and see no logic in the other side and in fact, be a condescending asshole to the other side whenever possible. That's kind of like the media nowadays, and it just drives me nuts. It doesn't matter if we're talking about this topic, a coach, a player, whatever. You have to pick a side and just kind of be an a-hole to the other side. It drives me kind of nuts. So with this topic, I think it's fitting that I, I, I've always said that I see this both ways. I do. I, I see both sides of, of this argument having some good points. Do I think the whole notion – of players get nothing is extreme? Yes. It's way extreme. Full scholarship, access to great facilities, great coaching, academic support, great gear, food, all that, all that is far from nothing. And the other thing, and maybe the most important thing that you get with your scholarship and affiliation with a college basketball program or college football program is you get a network and a support system for life. Greg Oden can go back to Ohio State, be met with open arms, and help. Perry Ellis recently came back to Kansas, going to coach, get his master's degree. Ask any former player, and they will tell you about that support system and how that is a very real thing. And again, the, the, the brand of the school and the stage that college football and college basketball presents for athletes is, is real, and it's incredibly valuable. I mean, be honest. How many people would know who Zion was if he didn't play at Duke? Or maybe some better examples. How many, how many people would know who Trey Young was if he didn't play at Oklahoma? Or Tua? Or Trevor Lawrence? I mean, example I've given people. Think about this year, because everybody's like, well, go pro. Did, did you watch more DeAndre Ayton games this year with the Phoenix Suns, or did you watch more R.J. Barrett with Duke? Of course, it's R.J. Barrett. Now, again, Aiton's getting paid a lot of money, but R.J. Barrett was on an enormous stage, which increases his earning powers. All those things are real. So, again, with, with all that, the, the notion that the players get nothing, I disagree with. It's, it's far from nothing. Now, with all that said, I also don't freak out and get upset at the notion of players getting paid. I've I've been a broken record on, on this stuff for a while. Until the powers that be acknowledge that these players clearly have value. That's clear. That's clear. Yet they exist in a system that doesn't allow them to capitalize on their value. I don't think anything will ever fully get fixed. 
air quotes around fixed. And I can get on board with the players being able to make money off themselves. I mean, say that out loud. There is something kind of fundamentally wrong with the idea that you, you can't make money off yourself and your own image and likeness. Like, right, that, there's something about that that kind of feels weird. And, and some detractors scream, you know, these, these players don't have as much value as you think, and it's all the school. Okay, I mean, listen, that, that may be true. But can't we let the market decide that? Why can't we let the market decide that? Like, that may be true. You may be sitting there and go, well, I mean, shoot. Well, I mean, who, who, is, who is Cam Reddish without Duke? I mean, he might not be much, but let the market decide that. I mean, that's how almost everything else works in our economy. The, the market is the ultimate truth teller. How valuable are you or the, the service you provide? I just I don't buy into this fear-mongering scenario where all these players are going to be getting all these crazy, insane, lucrative endorsement deals if you, would, if you open all this up. Smart business owners are going to be smart with their money. Could I see an initial tidal wave maybe the first couple of years? Yeah, but it'll normalize and stabilize. And, and the other thing that's interesting is some talk about how this would throw off the competitive balance. What about this competitive balance? You're right. You know, yeah, Clemson and Bama and Ohio State, they'd get all the players in football, right? Wait, they already get all the players in football. They get all the four- and five-star guys. And in, in college basketball, you're right. You're, you're right, competitive. I mean, Kentucky, Duke, and Carolina, and Kansas, they get all the players, right? Yeah. Wait, they already get all the players, all the five-star guys, all the McDonald's All-Americans. The reality is there already is a competitive balance issue in a lot of ways. That already exists. The idea that that doesn't already exist is, is crazy. It's crazy. And then I hear some people say, yeah, well, what, what would it do to, to team chemistry if one guy's getting paid and someone else isn't? Or one guy's getting way more than the other guy. Well, first of all, in addressing that, I think we greatly underestimate the intelligence of, a, of college athletes. Let's say when I was in college, I'll speak for myself here. When, when I was in college, let's say when I was in college at Kansas and at Creighton back from you know 2003 to 2008, the, let, let's pretend this rule was in effect where you could make money off your name, image, and likeness. When I was at Kansas, did I think I should make as much money as Wayne Simeon, Kansas native, All-American stud? No, because I'm not an idiot. And when I was at Creighton, did, did I think I should get as much as, as Anthony Tolliver got? No, because I'm not an idiot. I mean, do you think Matt Verzal back in the day as a walk-on offensive lineman that thought he should have got paid as much as Tommy Frazier if this was... No, because Verz isn't an idiot. Or currently, do you think uh, with this Nebraska football team, you think Austin Allen thinks he should get as much as Adrian Martinez? You think Austin Allen would walk around the, the city of Lincoln and see like Martinez endorsing Runza and just be like, fuck that? No, because he's not an idiot. So we sometimes do this whole thing where we insult the intelligence of those involved. And then the other thing with that is this. We all talk about 
wanting to prepare these kids for the real world, right? That's what college is, you know, where you're preparing to enter into the real world. Well, in the real world, is everyone paid equally? Think about your job. Is everyone at your place of business paid the exact same? Probably not. When I, when I first got to 1620 The Zone, did radio back in 2009, did I think my, my paycheck and my salary should be the same as Kevin Kugler's? No. So, so, th- so this is how the real world works to a certain extent. And the other thing I also push back on a bit is this whole notion of money leads to selfishness. I, I just don't, I don't think that is automatically the case. Some people go, you know, all, all these guys will be just all about themselves and selfish if they can now get paid. Eh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that to be true. I really don't. Because And within that, that statement would insinuate that all players currently now are unselfish because there is no money. And we all know that is 100% not true. A team is just like anything else. You got some selfish guys and you got some unselfish guys. And if you entered money into it, I think a lot of the selfish guys would stay selfish and a lot of the unselfish guys would stay unselfish. I just don't, I, I don't understand you just, you enter money into it and it just changes your, your level of selfishness. That's how I see it. And the reality of, of the whole situation is this too, with college athletes arguing for it. Some of these guys, some of these college basketball players, football players are at their peak earnings potential when they are in college. Some guys will never, ever have more notoriety, more popularity, more earnings power when it comes to profiting off of something like this than the four years that they are in college and playing in terms of their image, name, and likeness and all that stuff. You know how we always want to talk about the shelf life of athletes? And when we do that, it usually kind of pertains to ability and health, right? Well, there is also a shelf life of your notoriety and your popularity and your earnings power within that to make money off your own image, name, and likeness. And we can kick and scream, but that is just real. It just is. But with all that said, again, I can can see this both ways. I really can. I, I think that there is, I will say this. I think this is also a product of something else, but like, I think there is something to the grind and the journey and climbing the ladder in life that is important. Now, that's also coming from a guy that is in the midst of the grind and the journey and the climbing of the ladder. And there is this kind of weird thing we do in this world where it's like, well, if I had to go through it when you had to go through it, you got to go through it too. But I do think there is something important to that. You know, paying your dues. I mean, we're all guilty of it. We all want things right away. We're all guilty of that. We want the, the, the great job right away. We want the big house right away. We want the big money right away. And the reality is there are times where that isn't good, getting things too fast or before you're ready for them. There is beauty in the, the grind and the journey in, in getting there. You learn, you grow, you mature. So there's that element of it too. So again, I I just, I see it 
both ways. I think there are good points on both sides. I mean, I'd be lying to you if I said, do I get nervous about what things may look like if this all goes into effect? I should say when it all goes into effect. Yeah, maybe a little bit just because we paint this picture that like college basketball and college football are just broken and awful. And that just isn't true. It's not. Sure, there are issues. Absolutely. But that is kind of true in anything. There's nothing that's perfect. The NFL is not perfect. Major League Baseball isn't perfect. You know, our uh, our insurance industry is perfect. Like, there, there's nothing's perfect. And so, do I mean, sometimes do I do I go, oh, man, do I, I mean, radically altering things? Does that kind of uh, – yeah, I worry about it a little bit. But ultimately, if you had me cast my vote on this, I would vote in favor of allowing players to make money off their own image and name and likeness. I mean, last thing I'll say on this is it's I've 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 always thought this. It's kind of hard to call something amateur athletics when coaches are making millions of dollars. Television rights for March Madness, for example, are going for a billion dollars. A billion with a B. When when that's the case, it's kind of hard to call this amateur athletics, you know. So I'm just, I'm okay with letting the market decide the value of these players rather than a pseudo outdated model that exists now. So there you go. How about that for a scorching take? I see both sides of it. I'm not angry at either side. If I had to vote, I would vote. Yeah, people should be allowed to make money off themselves. But we'll, but again, I think this is the the beginning of uh, some some major changes to the current structure of college football and college basketball. Before we get to my chat with Tim Brando, I want, I want to talk about Adrian Martinez real quick because certainly he's been a hot topic uh, amongst Nebraska and, and the season. And I tell you what, it's this is what makes sports so amazing because the unpredictable is just real. Like if you would have if you would have told me in August that come October first. There would be a legit discussion amongst some people about pulling and benching Adrian Martinez. I would have laughed in your face. But here we are. Some people have been on board with benching him after his. He's had an Iraqi first five games, and in particular, the game against Ohio State, three interceptions in the first half. It's. It's. It's a real conversation among some people. A couple of things with this. I'd say I'm in the camp that I think it's crazy to bench Adrian Martinez. Crazy. Now, that's not to say that he hasn't struggled. He has. And that is, without question, one of the more perplexing storylines of the season so far. To me, it's it's pretty clear he's not totally comfortable. It, to me, it's it's clear he's a guy that is thinking too much and not just letting it rip and play with confidence. And what's weird about that is, is the fact that, to me, Martinez took the field in game number one against South Alabama, lacking some swag and some confidence. So it's it's not like the season started, he came out drenched in confidence, and he's lost it during the season. To me, he walked onto the field, game number one, and he just didn't look totally right. 
And so you, you kind of try to get inside all that and go, okay, I mean, did he, did, did the offseason Heisman stuff get to him a little bit? Did, did maybe, were, were the last six, seven games last year a mirage? I, I don't, I don't know. You go, well, what, what's the deal? I will say this. It is amazing to me how quickly we anoint quarterbacks nowadays and how quickly we write off quarterbacks in football nowadays. And Martinez exemplifies both sides of this. I said this in the recap pod. Martinez is a is is exhibit A for just that. Those who anointed him as the second coming of Marcus Mari- Mariota and a Heisman contender this year were, were probably crazy. And I'd say those that right now just want to punt on Adrian Martinez after five games into his sophomore year and sit him, they're crazy too. Both extremes, too much. But there is no doubt that he hasn't met expectations. That bar we all set for him was probably too high. And now it's, everything's easy to say after the fact. But I, I, I think we all thought, because I've been thinking about Martinez a ton this week, I think we all kind of thought, okay, Scott Frost, quarterback track record is great. Mario Verdusco, quarterback's coach, his quarterback track record of development, great. And you think about the guys that have played for them, Mariota, Mackenzie Milton, the proof is in the results. And then there is Martinez himself, a guy who has all the measurables and the tools, looks the part. And then on top of all that, there is this year two Scott Frost Central Florida thing that is buried in people's subconscious of, oh, you give Scott two years and explodes. You add all those things up and you got yourself a really, really, really high bar. So the expectations get inflated and you have what's happening right now in terms of people really, really scratching their head. But again, with acknowledging all that, he hasn't played great. He hasn't. He's had, he's had a few good flashes. I thought he was good in the second half against Illinois. I thought he showed flashes against Colorado. But he hasn't played great. And, and some of that is on him. But I think I could argue, and Frost alluded to this this week in his Monday press conference, Nebraska doesn't have – I could argue that Nebraska doesn't have a Martinez problem. Nebraska has a center problem and a wide receiver development problem. I want you to think about, about this. A lot of the issues can be traced back to the high snaps from Cam Jurgens and the fact that the only two wide receivers who are doing a damn thing are J.D. Spielman and Wondell Robinson. And those guys are more slot receiver dudes, hybrid kind of guys. They need a guy that can take the top off a of defense and get vertical. Bo Rude, who joins me for the little recap pod after every Husker game, he's been on this from the jump. So say it out loud. Martinez is dealing with a center who is a converted tight end and has never played center before in his life, and he's dealing with no wide receivers being able to get vertical and win one-on-one tell you what that's not a great formula for a comfortable quarterback and so maybe it's it's more so that's what's happening than Martinez not being a potentially elite quarterback or whatever 
And that wide receiver thing is is interesting because it's it's not like Nebraska hasn't recruited that position hard upon this new staff's arrival. First two recruiting classes, Nebraska has signed 11 wide receivers. 11. 12, if you throw in Kennewide Noah, the grad transfer. So basically 12, 12 wide receivers brought in Basically, one can play, and that's Wandale. And he's kind of a hybrid guy. I mean, hell, he played running back the whole second half of the Illinois game. So I don't know if if this staff is kind of whiffed on some of these guys or they haven't developed or maybe the reality is uh, reality situation is unless you're a five-star guy, it takes a little bit of time for you to be able to walk onto the, to, into college football and, and make an impact. Or maybe the coaching staff just has to throw those dudes out there into the fire and and let them kind of figure it out. I don't know. Any way you slice it, I think there's absolutely a wide receiver issue. And that obviously is going to impact Martinez. And with with Frost, I, I alluded to this in the recap pod. I think sometimes in life, we are drawn to those who kind of look like us in a way look like they're in our path, walking in the shoes that we once walked in. I think Scott Frost sees a little of himself in Adrian Martinez. Nebraska quarterback, getting some heat from the media and the fans. People want him benched. All those things happened to Scott Frost. But keep in mind, Frost came in, and who did he have to fill the shoes of? Who did he have to replace? Tommy freaking Frazier. I mean, you talk about some high expectations. And then I and remember September thirteenth, nineteen ninety seven, Central Florida. Remember that game. Frost got pulled for a series and then was booed upon his return by the fans in Memorial Stadium. That type of stuff sticks with you. But after that game, you read the post-game quotes, you follow the rest of the season, Tom Osborne stood by Scott Frost emphatically, always backed him, always said he was the guy. And then the next week, Nebraska plays at Washington, and it probably was the turning point in Frost's quarterback career at Nebraska. He played great. He was the man. Nebraska's on to win a national title. So fast forward 22 years later, here, here is Scott Frost, the head coach, and now he's in charge of a quarterback dealing with hype, struggling a bit. There is some heat from the fans and some media members to bench him or sit him. Again, we oftentimes are drawn to people who kind of are in our mold, appear to be walking in shoes that we've worn. Like, I think Frost looks at Adrian Martinez and sees himself. So, what is Scott Frost doing this week? Publicly backing Martinez, praising Martinez, deflecting criticism off of Martinez. That's what Frost wanted and needed in 1997, and he ultimately got that from Tom Osborne, his head coach, and it worked out for him. I think Frost is probably hoping for the same thing to happen. So I'm, I'm just telling you, 
on a, var- a variety of levels. If you think a quarterback change is looming, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. And everything I just laid out is why. Okay, let's get to uh, to Mr. Tim Brando. Fox, play-by-play voice, a, a guy that is a legendary longtime fixture in the broadcasting industry. He's been... Uh, I mean, he's done a, everything. He's been at ESPN, CBS, now Fox. Calls college basketball, college football, and it's been cool. I've been I've gotten to know Tim Brando through Fox College Basketball with my duties as an analyst for FS1. So I've been able to work with Tim numerous times, and we've had steak dinners and drank wine and laughed, and we've really kind of struck up a really cool friendship. And he's been very supportive of me, and I really appreciate him for that and so he's on the call this weekend for Nebraska and Northwestern on Fox so I thought you know what I need to dial up my guy Tim Brando uh, and get him on to you know pick his brain on a variety of things with college athletics and in particular Nebraska so here you go here's my chat with Timmy B Mr. Tim Brando well on the line now is uh one of my favorite guys Unbelievably talented, unbelievably uh, kind and gracious, and we've shared a steak or two and uh, <laughs> and uh, a Diet Coke or two, I guess, Tim, is what we'll call it in Indianapolis or wherever we are. He's Tim Brando. He's going to be on the call this weekend for Nebraska and Northwestern. Timmy B., how are you, my friend? Couldn't be better. You know, this is that time of year, and uh, I'm about to fly into my first real cooler environment yeah. uh, this week for the Nebraska game with Northwestern. And as you know, they got this heat. We got this heat wave in the south and in the east. And right about the time uh, uh, I, I slide in there for a misty steak and a, <laughs> uh, maybe a phone call from Larry, the cable guy, and not only knows what might happen then, yeah. uh, it's going to cool. We'll have some rain and it'll cool off in Omaha. So, well. I'm looking forward to, to making that little trip from Omaha to Lincoln. Last time you came here, you brought a massive thunderstorm, Timmy B, that canceled the Akron <laughs> game. So you better not bring that thunderstorm here. Yeah, that was really one of the cleanest broadcasts I've ever had. I don't know that, I that was maybe the best kickoff and touchback call in the history of my four decades in this business. You know what, Tim? I know you don't have to put together demo tapes anymore because you're so established, but I really hope you're in your 2018 demo tape, you had that kickoff. Uh, you had that kickoff call in there my friend <laughs> i love it well i know they're i know they're still smarting in uh in lincoln after what happened last week but I, in a lot of respects i think um uh, this is the uh, really the new beginning uh for them i think that's going to be the theme i look forward to chatting with uh scott and his staff uh and visiting with uh adrian which i know we will because uh, in so many ways, I think the, the Cornhusker program is, is really going in the right direction. You know, I, I want to say this before you even bring it up to get ahead of the curve. Um, as you know, I'm not a time and temperature play-by-play guy. And, yeah, I do give opinions, especially in the summertime. And, and I know that um, this, this thought process of great expectations uh, has, has upset a lot of fans, uh, a lot of Cornhusker fans, that, Maybe we were putting too much pressure on this on this program. I, I, I still don't think so. Um, uh, I believe that Nebraska is on its way back. Uh, I do believe that Scott Frost is a transformational coach. Uh, and I absolutely believe that the personnel that this current Nebraska team has 
is good enough to contend in the Big Ten West. Now, you know, Ohio State, it has all looked bad in the sense that we felt maybe with Urban Meyer gone and some of the critical positions that they lost personnel. And they, listen, they're a, they're a juggernaut. But Ohio State is the Alabama north of the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, they've proven that time and time again. And Michigan's inability to to uh, answer the bell with uh, uh, really a schedule that works in their favor is further proof that Jim Harbaugh's got quite a ways to go. But the, the, the reality is much of my talk about that was optimistic, so optimistic about Nebraska, was centered around its schedule and its placement in the division that it's in within the Big Ten. And none of that's really gone away. Uh, I, I think that the Nebraska schedule is still advantageous to them. Uh, and I think that being in the West, although Wisconsin certainly is a little bit like Ohio State, proving to all of us that they have a bounce back, their offensive line issues that they had a year ago have gone away. Uh, but if you look back and after looking closely at the game with Northwestern, by example, with with with, with Wisconsin, uh, they are not an offensive juggernaut and uh, can be made one dimensional. Uh, and so when that matchup happens between Nebraska and Wisconsin, provided Nebraska gets to the street, uh, I still think there's a lot for them to play for. And uh, by season's end, we're going to be talking about. Well, let's see. What was that record with Nebraska? Yeah, it's kind of where we thought it might be. Sure. So I'm I'm still very optimistic about where the Huskers are, and uh, yeah, uh, I I I will accept my role in saying that uh, I felt they could beat Ohio State way back in the summer. I was clearly wrong, uh, but I still believe the big picture, thirty thousand foot projection. Uh, if you will, that I had for them is still very much in play. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think with Ohio State, Nebraska played them tough last year in Columbus, so that was kind of top in mind, top of mind. Justin Fields had yeah. never been in an environment like that. You, you go, well, what? How's he going to react? It was probably Ryan Day's biggest game as a head coach. You never know how, how he's going to react to that. There were ingredients there that make you go, this could get interesting. But the one thing that. Let's. I know a lot of Husker fans wanted to see Nebraska's moment in the sun and beating Ohio State, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee success after that. Tim, you remember last year Purdue produced three and seven since that game. So it's not like if Nebraska would have won that game on Saturday night that that it was now going to be all you know a, a yellow brick road leading to Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. So they kind of are yeah. what they are. That's kind of been Scott's line: is you know we are what we are. We're improved. We're a work in progress. Are you? Uh, but is there a part of you that is a little? I'd imagine you are because you you were high on them. Are you a little surprised things haven't clicked quite as as fast as as you maybe anticipated with Frost here five games into well, year two? I knew that they were going to be outmanned physically up front <clears throat> to some extent with Ohio State. I just thought that they had enough playmakers that they could offset that. But they were so outmanned up front. Their offensive line was so abused uh, in the game with Ohio State that there was simply no chance, not for a kid as good as Martinez, not for a wide receiver as good as Spielman, uh, to be a factor. They simply couldn't get the ball. And to some extent, you know, what Scott did with that old school, you know, that that, that drive that led to the interception yeah. where the kid was actually on the seat of his pants. <laughs> and uh, and they went old school, you know, running um, 
running speed option option here, option there. That that, that got the crowd all revved up. You know, borrowing a page from his period in the nineties as a as a quarterback. That was actually working. You know, Ohio State did not see that coming at all. They were not prepared for it. Uh, and down 14 points, you could afford to do that. And they were on their way. And then, lo and behold, here's another tip pass. Winds up in an Ohio State uniform. And that, that pretty much pulled down the curtain uh, on the game, on the competitive nature of the game. Uh, and that, that the fact that he did that, uh, that, that Scott went to that, uh, was, was both um, one of the reasons I love him as a coach, why I think he's going to be uh, the next Nick Saban. All right, that's 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 why I made the statement I did upon his uh, hiring. Uh, and then the other part of that tells me that he knew that running his normal stuff was not going to work against right, right. a team like Ohio State. Okay, that he had to have that kind of uh, uh, gimmickry. Uh, to and, and and by the way, uh, if you have it part of your package, it's not really gimmickry. It's mm-hmm. just part of your package. Mm-hmm. And I think Nebraska will use it and use it to their advantage in the very near future. Uh, that's just who Scott is. He's very innovative. Uh, but but that 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 was the thing that I did not anticipate. Uh Nebraska's offensive line is uh is still probably two to three recruiting classes away from being where it needs to be to be as competitive as Ohio State. I mean it just absolutely is physically. To be to be on on, on a park uh, course with with uh, Ohio State. He needs another two to three years of recruiting up front. And it's rare to say that about Nebraska, given its history, but it's true. I mean, he knows. He ran behind one of those uh, for years. So that's, that's the thing that I didn't anticipate. I thought that they would be a little better up front. I think the skill position situation is fine. Uh, and I certainly believe in Martinez as being the absolute perfect quarterback for Scott's offense. So, and again, I go back to, I, I go back to the schedule and I look at what lies ahead. Uh, as long as, as they were able to navigate uh, the stunning embarrassment of what happened. You know, a lot of times when you have a game that bad, that's that bad, at halftime, I mean, I, I had done a game the night before that was almost the carbon copy yeah. of, of what happened in Nebraska. Much anticipation, Biggest game in College Park in 20 years, a blackout, a sellout, a team that had hung a, a 70 spot, you know, two weeks earlier on Syracuse, a team that, you know, they thought would be competitive with Clemson. Uh, everyone thought Maryland was overlooking um, Temple when they, they lost that game, and they, they likely were. But, you know, when you can't meet the emotion with, with proper execution, things can go downhill fast. And it really, the, the, the job Michael, Mike Loxley has this week, very similar to the, the same job that uh, uh, that Scott has this week, and that is to make sure his team understands that, yeah, that was a beatdown. You got taken to the woodshed, but that's one game. It's just one game. Okay, let, let's get on with it. And uh, this is not going to be a North. This, this team they're going to play um, this week is, is not, no walkover, despite their one and three record. They started. On a free trip and wound up in the Big Ten title game, Northwestern. So they've been in this situation before. Texas teams have come out of it. And uh, they've got injuries, injuries at quarterback, um, but they're tough. You know, Northwestern will not be, you know, a pushover by any stretch. 
So uh, this is a litmus test in a lot of ways for where Scott is in his program, in my opinion. As big as last week felt, this week, because of last week, is even bigger for Nebraska. Tim, with uh, let's, I want to talk about Adrian Martinez for a second because – you know, the the bar got set really high for him heading into the year. There was the Heisman talk, and ultimately when that's the case, you get judged against Tua and and those kinds of guys. I think some people thought what Jalen Hurts has done at Oklahoma, Adrian Martinez was going to be able to do this year, and it just hasn't kind of clicked for him outside of maybe a, a third and fourth quarter at Illinois. I thought Scott had some interesting things that he, he said, listen, Adrian's got enough on his plate. He doesn't need to be worrying about where the snap's going to be, whether or not wide receivers are going to be in the right place. Uh, so I think in a way he kind of tried to deflect some criticism and say, listen, this isn't necessarily all an Adrian Martinez problem. There's some other things that are happening that are getting him off schedule a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure how much film you've been able to watch or just how much you've been able to absorb. Just your uh, impressions of Martinez so far. Well, by the way, I, I had uh, you know really lofty thoughts and projections for Nebraska as a team, but you never heard me mention Adrian Martinez as a a Heisman candidate. Uh, I mean, that was just, in, I, I, I don't know where really that came from. Uh, probably more regionally and locally than, than nationally. Certainly it did come from me. There may have been a few nationally that uh, were not, not, not with guys like Jalen Hurts and Tua uh, and so many others that, um, I mean, Jonathan Taylor, by example, <laughs> yeah. you know, now he's out of it after last week. Now Northwestern held him in check. Um, so he's probably out of much of the conversation now, but but um, the reality is where they are as a program has a lot to do with where Adrian is uh, as a quarterback. Um, you know, the, the line on him, you know, seven touchdown passes, five picks. Uh, he's He's been rushing well, but he's also been sacked 14 times. Uh, when you are sacked that many times, uh, it's going to have an adverse effect, obviously, because of the way statistical data is gathered in, in college football. Uh, sacks do count as yards against rushing. So, you know, the numbers are just not not, not going to match up for him at this stage because of where the program is up front. And they are sorely lacking right now, in my opinion, uh, up front. Yeah. Scott has got to coach uh, his quarterback to some extent, despite his offensive line was. And that means getting rid of the ball quickly, a lot of stuff underneath, rely on his legs a lot more, all plays with his legs. I mean, this is, this is a young man that is trying to mask other issues with his team with his own individual talent. Uh, and you can do that as long as your wide receiving core is making these catches. Okay, you cannot miss open looks and receivers must catch the ball when the ball hits them in the numbers. Uh, you can't let the ball run in on you and jump and hit your face mask and bounce off. I've seen examples of that countless times. Um, I thought a great example of that was the offensive line weakness in Colorado. Uh, you've got a fumble recovery. What with five minutes left in the game? Uh, you feel like your defense is feeling like, okay, well, we're going to, yeah, we, we're already ahead. We just gave our, our offensive football team the ball in pretty good field position. So let's move it. Let's go. Well, you got to get it done in a short passing game. And, uh, because they, they weren't running the ball particularly well at that time. And Colorado, uh, defensively 
you know, had its its mojo going. And you had a three and out that was so quick that <laughs> Colorado got the ball back. I think only maybe twenty eight to thirty seconds to come off the clock. Yeah. Um, you know, that that is again one of those situations where you know, you are having to coach around some issues. And when you're coaching around issues with other aspects of your team and you're trying to do it with your big-time talent, which is your quarterback, hoping he can make some plays, that's a lot of extra pressure. Um, that That's the reason that game with Colorado got away. Right. Uh, that game with Colorado should have been a win for Nebraska. So their fans are about about it. And I personally believe that uh, not only did uh, Adrian learn some lessons, maybe his his uh, his team and even his coaching staff learned a few lessons uh, after that game. Uh, and then they dug themselves that hole in Illinois, had to come out of it, and that showed some some signs of life. And, and I believe that it's that team, uh, the one that you saw come back after digging a hole uh, in Champaign, that's the team that, in my estimation, Nebraska will ultimately become this year. Uh, and and Adrian's development uh, individually, I think, is already there. But Adrian's development within the confines of the Nebraska program is still uh, a work in progress. You know, Scott's yeah. right. It is a work in progress. But trust me when I tell you, it's Adrian's abilities that can camouflage the problems. Okay? He, he's not the problem. The problems are elsewhere but they're having to utilize Adrian in ways to camouflage those other issues to be successful and win as many games as they possibly can. Tim, what, what I like uh, about you and picking your brain is you, you're a college football lover and you're a historian. You know the history of the game. And I, 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 with, with Nebraska, I think there's this, this battle of trying to connect the past with the present. In your opinion, Tim, what is Nebraska's place in college football today? Well, I mean, it is a storied program. It is, um, it is clearly one of the you know top ten programs in the history of the sport. And you look at um, the success, and I grew up on Bob Devaney and 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 Tom Osborne, and um, you know, I, I think that uh, the unfortunate reality, the unfortunate truth. Uh, about Nebraska is the manner in which Frank Solich was treated. Yeah, uh, things changed in the aftermath of that, and they've been sort of stubbing their toes uh, at every turn in the years since uh, that time. And and Scott has deemed as you know the prodigal son returning home, and uh, there is an instant gratification um, syndrome that I think all of us are in. And uh, that's why I said what I did last week. Somebody on, uh, on Twitter came after me, and I said, yeah, I know I probably contributed to this because as a national broadcaster and someone that does understand the history, people do uh, lend a little more credibility when someone like me puts them in the preseason top ten. So, uh, you know, I'll admit to that. And, uh, you know, this I was wrong. And uh, I may be a little bit ahead of the curve here. Uh, I still think that they're headed that way, and I still believe the rest of the season can be a great season. Um, I think what fans are going to have to understand, uh, specifically in the state of Nebraska, is that you can't do it the way it was done back in the 70s and and 80s with uh, homegrown Nebraska talent 
with uh, just an incredible. Now I know he wants to he wants to have uh, Nebraska kids as many as he can on that team, but you're not going to be able to compete at the level that Nebraska has to compete in the Big Ten because in those days we're talking about the old Big Eight conference and college football was far more regional in scope at that time. Uh, you could dominate a program playing a certain way and then go into a major bowl with an opportunity at a national title and just believe that, okay, we may be playing this one incredible team, but we only have to beat them one time. You know, you, yeah. the, the road to the college football championship, the national championship, was far easier to navigate uh, back in those days. So you could be uh, who you were and just stay who you were and not have to worry about uh, a lot of, a lot of other aspects. Now, with um, not only the competition in the Big Ten being bigger and, and stronger and better and more diverse, but also just the changes and the nuances in the college game being what they are. Uh, you've got to play fast. I mean, Scott's system certainly runs in the face of what he used to run, uh, but he also has the core values of what he did run at one time. So I think that's – they need to understand, I believe, Nebraska, the hardcores, that the core values have returned, but you cannot do it the way it was done before. And that means just uh, a ton of kids from your local area. You, know, you have got to recruit skilled people. And if you look at the, if you look at the talent, the, the ensemble, you're going to find some Californians. You're going to find some Floridas. You're going to find that, that there will be a national recruiting base at Nebraska, the likes of which, uh, the fan base there may never have understood that this was necessary. Uh, and, and you have to do that uh, because in order to compete running the offense that he wants to run in a league like this, you are really looking uphill in terms of recruiting bases to places like Ohio State and to places like Michigan. So um, you've got to accept that change if you're a Nebraska fan. Uh, your position in terms of, look, I don't need to tell you. Uh, I've known Sauer uh, in Herb Street for a long time. Uh, Chris was jumping out of his skin to get back to Lincoln mm -hmm. uh, last week. And and I'm jumping out of mine to get back there this week. So it's a place that all of us hold near and dear. Those of us that love college football, love the history of Nebraska. And uh, I'm in awe of the fact that they have had these sellouts that continue. Uh, and But at the same time, uh, I think that uh, the evolution of college football being what it is means that if you don't move with the times, you don't understand that it can't be done the way it was done before, not exactly the way it was done before, then, then you're limiting yourself and you're living in a myopic world. So that's, that's where I see the rest yeah. of the program uh, and where I believe the fan base needs to understand that, yeah, we can be who we've always been in terms of our core values, but we have to be willing to change, uh, not get stuck in the mud and resist, you know, what Michigan resisted from Rich Rod, by example. We're not good enough to say, uh, you know, this, this notion that um, some programs can say, you know, we, we want to win 11 games, but we want to win them the way we like to win them. <laughs> you know, you can maybe afford to do that yeah. at Ohio State right. or at Alabama, uh, at Michigan. You can't do that at Nebraska. Right. I'm sorry. It's And if you believe that, then you're more arrogant 
than you think. You've got to be able to look in the mirror and understand what you've become, not just who you are, but what you've become uh, and where your position is in the landscape of college football. Tim, I, I want to shift gears to talk a little national college football stuff while, while I got you. Sure. And then, I, then I want to ask you about the California uh, legislation that went into place. I'm curious what your take is on that. Uh, but with, you know, I'm looking at your top 10 and I love it. You have Ohio State as your number one team, which I think if you just look at who's been the most impressive, to me, Ohio State's been the most impressive team. You got LSU at two. I, I mean, Joe Burrow's been incredible. That win at Texas is fantastic. You could make a case. You got Auburn at seven. You could make a case that they have one of the more impressive resumes as well. How do you combine? Because I think one of the hardest things to do is is kind of wed how much last year matters versus each season kind of being on its own individual clean slate to look at. Take me into your mind, Tim, on how you're kind of combining those two things, because I really do like your top ten. Well, last year means zero to me, and last year means zero to the committee, or at least that's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what they say. Uh, I, I, I believe the committee itself is a problem. That's another topic for another day. Um, but, but uh you know, in the preseason, and I tell people this all the time, uh, when they go just bonkers after they see it, you know, and uh, I say, listen, this is not uh, where I believe teams are privileged to start. This is where I believe they'll end up. You know, that's my projection for the finish, basically. Yeah. Um, so it's not like a starting grid for the, the college football season. Uh, it's, it's more, this is how I see the thing finishing out. And, uh, and oh, by the way, <laughs> let's say Nebraska wins the West and uh, doesn't lose the Big Ten title game. What would their record be? What would their record be? Let's do the math. Yeah, they'd be, be nine and three. Yeah, I mean, is that yeah. what they'd be? Yeah, if they'd lose, you said I mean, if they'd I mean, lose, yeah, if they'd lose in the Big Ten title game, they'd be nine and three. Okay, would you take nine? Would you take nine and three? Heck yes. <laughs> Okay, well, all right, so I'm I'm going to say to you that nine and three would get you probably, and you're, you're let's say you win a bowl game that could get you to ten. So you could you could wind up around uh, I don't know ten, eleven, twelve team maybe in the country. Yep, right somewhere in there. Yep, I, that wouldn't be bad. That's no. good. so I heard you preseason eight, I think. So I'd be off by four five spots. It wouldn't be like a colossal miss. It no. would be a miss. But it wouldn't be a colossal. Um, when I look at once we get into, see, I don't believe that we can have a preseason poll. And by the way, television is one of the reasons we have them. Uh, since the beginning of time, when Bino Cook was telling Rune Arledge to move the Texas Arkansas game to uh, Thanksgiving weekend in 1968, uh, we've been using uh, preseason polls to promote games on television. So. We're as, we're as much a part of the problem when it comes to attaching a numeral to a team uh, for the benefit of, uh, of of television ratings as any. So, but I don't, uh, you know, I, I really think that we can't really measure where we are in college football until after four or five weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. And the narrative at the beginning of the year clearly was it's Clemson, Alabama, and then everybody else. And now, uh, as we start October and the leaves begin to turn, hello. Uh, I think we see at least 10, maybe 12 teams that all could be saying, hey, hey we, we can do this. Uh, and and that certainly is in sharp contrast to where we were when the season started. So 
I begin to see, you know, say what I see. And uh, Ohio State still hasn't played what we call a, a huge game yet. I mean, it hasn't happened. Uh, and and uh, it's not going to happen until they play Penn State. So we'll, we'll but, but I, what I've seen of them on the field is so impressive, uh, both in every aspect of their team, defense, offense, um, quarterback play, my goodness. And, and uh, you know, I couldn't not put them number one mm-hmm. after last week. I mean, I just, not after the way Clemson played and not after the cupcake Alabama had within their league. You know, Ole Miss rushed for over 300 yards against Alabama last week. I mean, over 300 yards. Yeah. So, so Alabama doesn't deserve to be one or two in my mind. Uh, and, um, and Clemson, you know, I'm not going to just hold them there because they're the reigning champions. That's not how this system is supposed to work. So uh, it, it is a game of matchups once you get to the college football final four. So if the question were, Tim, give me the four teams that you think will be there, who matches up the best, I think I might still t- take Clemson to win those individual games. Okay, once we get to the top four. But I don't know right now. Certainly they're not playing well enough to be in the top four right now. Not after what I saw against North Carolina. Uh, and it hasn't been a good year for Trevor Lawrence so far. So I dropped them out of the top four altogether. I dropped them down to five. Uh, when I see uh, teams from week to week uh, play and evolve into something really special, I'm going to react to it. Mm-hmm. So from this point to the end of the season, you're going to see a lot of movement with my top 10. I mean, my top 10 could change. Uh, the first few weeks, it doesn't change very much because we just don't have enough enough to work with. We haven't, no one's got enough body of work for us to really determine what we've seen. Now, I've seen enough. And in my estimation, uh, by example, you mentioned Auburn. I've got them at seven. The reason I've got Auburn at seven is is because I've got a little wiggle room with them because their schedule's so tough. Right, right. Uh, if I moved Auburn uh, up around two, three, or four, uh, then I would be setting myself up to, to say, well, well now what, why, why should I do that when they got to play Florida coming up? Then they got to play LSU. <laughs> you know, they've got so many big games in front of them. They'll, they'll get there because they're literally playing everybody. You know? Mm-hmm. Alabama, the, the, the fact that their schedule is so much weaker than Auburn's, and yet they're in the same division of the same league, is beyond reprehensible to me. Right. <laughs> it's just beyond <laughs> reprehensible to me. But it is. Alabama doesn't have a tough game until uh, November 9th when they play LSU. So, meanwhile, Auburn has got to go through this gauntlet of uh, Florida, LSU, uh, Georgia. Uh, and Alabama, unbelievable. Okay, I mean it's just unbelievable how unfair that is. But and and they're in the same league as as, as Alabama. They're in the same division of the same league <laughs> uh, as Alabama. Yeah. It absolutely makes no sense. But I keep those things in mind when I'm putting in my my top ten. So you know, uh, I don't think Alabama's done anything to warrant dropping below Auburn. All right. Mm-hmm. So that's why I've not done it. And even though Auburn's got two of the more impressive wins, I mean, they blew out A&M and A&M. Uh, they blew out Mississippi State at home. And they handled Oregon in a neutral setting. I mean, 
you can make a case that their body of work right now is is as good as anybody's. And so if anyone wants to rank them ahead of uh, any of those teams I mentioned, Alabama, LSU, I, I'm not going to talk them down. I'm just telling you now why I don't have them. Right. Where, that makes sense. Where I have LSU or, or Alabama. Uh, LSU, in my opinion, still has the best road win. Okay. True road win uh, of the college football season. To have played in Austin. If that game had been played, let's say, at uh, Houston, okay, uh, not at Austin, as so many of these games are early in the year, Nick. Yep. Uh, I wouldn't give LSU the pop of being number two. They had to go into Austin and do that with a lot of question marks about their offense, and they more than answered them. Arrow is now, what is he? I think the Hodgemakers have him like number two or number three on the list. I think for so. The Heisman right now. Yeah. So, so they've proven more, I think, than anybody based on that, that one game. Now, you know, they're, they're going to play Utah State non-conference, which, by the way, isn't as bad as playing Western Carolina or the Citadel, which is what Alabama does. Yeah. Uh, they are playing Utah State this week, and then they get into the to the to the grind after that in the uh, in the SEC. So those are the things that I I take into account. Um, Wisconsin is a team that I could have easily uh, I could have easily targeted and said, you know what, I, I didn't like what I see, I didn't like what I saw against um, against Northwestern, but their defense scored two touchdowns for them uh, in that game, and. Uh, their defense looks to be dominant. So I'm not going to penalize them. And the team that got the biggest bump last week for me was Penn State. You know, I had them around 12, 13, like everybody else. When I saw that performance uh, with my own eyes at Maryland, I, I thought they were worthy of top 10 treatment. So I, I moved them into my top 10 for the first time. And I do think that from a recruiting standpoint right now, uh, their problem is they don't have any juniors. They've got all seniors and all freshmen and sophomores. They virtually have no juniors uh, in their class. So after the 2016 team, they took a hit when they won the Big Ten title. They, they had a tough recruiting year, but they're back on target. And I don't think even Michigan is coming close to Ohio State from a recruiting standpoint. It's Penn State that offers the greatest challenge in terms of four- and five-star talent to Ohio State. So that's why I have them where I do. So that's that's what I have in mind. Interesting, it's, yeah. It's going to be much more fluid now yep. from me when you look at my top ten. Tim, I, so I've been, a, I've been a Jim Harbaugh defender. I thought he'd be a roaring success at Michigan. There kind of was the, the built-in Urban Meyer excuse. What do you make of the Jim Harbaugh current state of affairs at Michigan right now? I think he's got a culture problem. You know, I, I think he's got a culture problem, and that's 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 bad. That's not good. Uh, and I like him. Uh, I, I, you know, I do, and I really love Don Brown as defensive coordinator. But I think he's got a culture problem uh, with his offense and trying to create an identity. Uh, they just have no identity, right? Uh, and with guys like Nick Jones and Donovan Peoples Jones and all of the skilled people they have. Listen, Shea Patterson was good enough at Ole Miss and Hugh Freeze's offense to light up everybody when he stepped onto the field midway through uh, a true freshman season to try to salvage Ole Miss's year. Um, what he did at College Station for Texas A&M was, I mean, off the charts. I mean, he looked like 
a better version of Johnny Manziel. I mean, he looked like a more talented, more skilled version of what Johnny Manziel had already been in 2012. Uh, and now he gets into a Michigan uniform, and they've got him under center. They've got him running power. Uh, he, the kid should have been in the shotgun from the jump as soon as he got there. Uh, Pep Hamilton, who was the offensive coordinator a year ago, is now coaching in the XFL. And, I, you know, there was no getting around the fact that uh, Pep was going to tell you this is Jim's offense. So he he immediately was was saying, okay, listen, uh, philosophically, this is, I just want you to know this is Jim's, okay? <laughs> so, I mean, he was above board about it. Uh, and then he left. But when they hired Josh Gattis, Nick, I, I thought, my God, this is going to be keys to the uh, Maserati have been given now. Right. Jay Patterson. Right. You know, I mean, I, I felt surely this was going to happen because Gaddis was supposed to be going with Loxley to Maryland, and we knew what they were going to do. They were going to spread it out. They were going to run RPO, all the stuff that that, uh, that you knew Alabama had done so well with Tua. Uh, and basically, I think what happened was uh, – Understanding that this was happening in Maryland, Harbaugh decided, um, you know what, I'm going to go recruit Gaddis away, and I, I need to get some of that into my offense. So it's indecision, I, I think, on Jim's part. You know, do I go or don't I go? It's like, do I press the accelerator or don't I? Right. He, he's you talk about being caught in the past. Jim's caught in the past. Right. Uh, he won't let Bo Schembechler's offense go. And, you know, like we're supposed to be, you know, when it's third and one, we're supposed to line up in power. And we're supposed to, well, not necessarily, not anymore. Not with this personnel. Not with what you've recruited. Uh, and Gaddis, I see no sign of that offense from Alabama or, or Mike Loxley in what Michigan is doing. Now, okay, they, they lit up Rutgers, but, I mean, they're a dumpster fire. I'm not going <laughs> to give much credit to that sure, situation sure. until we see them light up somebody else. Sure. Tim, a couple of quick things, and we'll let you run here. You're a college sports yep. lover, so I'm curious what your thoughts are on kind of the, the big news of the week here of the California legislation <laughs> allowing student-athletes to profit off name, image, and likeness. And it's interesting that since that announcement, I saw – might have been Dennis Dodd report that eight other states now have or are considering following suit. I guess where where do you come out on this topic? Because it's certainly been a topic for a couple of years now. The whole concept of athletes being able to uh, enter into the the market and and make money off their name, image, image and likeness. Now, I think that the amount of and uh, confusion and um, hysteria from not only fans, but even some of the media, is just laughable. Uh, you know, I hear some of my, my friends in conservative areas of the country, flyover states like yours and mine, saying, oh, this is the death of intercollegiate <laughs> athletics. I mean, totally buying into the propaganda machine coming out of Indianapolis. Right. Uh, this anyone that's a reasonable person that believes that college football uh, and its core values and its uh, uh, mission is adversely affected by uh, players being allowed to take advantage of their image and likeness is just 
you know, living on another planet. Yeah. And, and, and they are, they're not leaders, total followers. And, uh, if, if you believe in it, some of this too. Well, you know, it's California. Take it with a grain of salt. I mean, please, <laughs> please. <laughs> Not everything that's done in the California legislature is, uh, you know, uh, a medieval circus. No, it's, <laughs> it's not. So stop. Just stop. Um, this was coming down the pike for quite some time. Actually, the legislation that they're about to uh, approve and turn into law in New York is going to be far more reaching and uh, of greater impact than just image and likeness. And the NCAA, I think, is aware of this. That's why they put this task force together. Our friend Val Eicherman is actually on this task force, but they used to be there along with Eugene uh, Smith, who tried to address it uh, at uh, Ohio State's presser yesterday with uh, the head coach. Look, uh, basically, California, to their credit, uh, has said they're not going to implement this until 2023. So, uh, giving the NCAA time to come to grips with the reality. Yes. Here. And that is, what you're doing is just wrong, and we are going to make it legally wrong for you to prohibit this by 2023. So get your act together and come to terms with uh, the definition of amateurism changing. And this is not terribly unlike what happened back in the uh, early 80s when the universities of Georgia and Oklahoma uh, got together and said, we are going to sue, uh, and we're going to take this all the way to the Supreme Court, uh, the NCAA, because we have uh, the ability in our particular schools to make far more money off of the image and likeness of our program, okay, uh, by, by, by marketing it through cable television and the advent of cable television. That's how I got my career started with LSU. Uh, doing their Tiger Vision broadcasts on uh, pay-per-view cable. Uh, and they started their own Tiger Vision channel where they re-air all of this to help morph into the College Football Association, TFA. Uh, and uh, when that lawsuit was won back in 1984, the NCAA, what? Lost all control of uh, televising college football. Uh, and a lot of fans have forgotten this. A lot of media have forgotten yeah, this. And right. it was such, it was a generation of so many people uh, that, that uh, jumped down the instant. How many times have you followed me on Twitter? Yeah. How many times have you seen me have to remind people that the NCAA has nothing to do with this? They don't govern. It's outside their jurisdiction. College football is outside their jurisdiction. How many times have you seen me have to, have, have to write that? Yeah, quite a bit. Many. Quite a bit. Now, they are a policing agency, yes. And they say bowl games, which why they get to do that, I have no idea. It's just flexing their muscles yeah. in areas where they know they can. But they can't win this, okay? They will not be able to win this. Now, what I'm told by my friends that are lawyers uh, is they will sue the state of California okay. uh, to save to themselves. That they're going to sue uh, the state of California. But it won't go anywhere because as you mentioned, there are seven other states, eight other states that are about to do the same thing. Right. Uh, once, and once our friends in Congress get through with this, you know, god awful stuff going on prior to the election of 2020, <laughs> and they have a little downtime in yeah. 2021 or two, they will address this. 
Right. Uh, that's what's ultimately going to happen. Federal, federal government's going to get involved, and we are going to see across-the-board change of the definition of, of, uh, of amateurism. And the ATA will just have to understand that this is very much like Olympic sports, and it's not going to bring down these universities. If, um, I'll use my example, if, if Adrian Martinez could uh, sell his likeness, in, in marketing in Nebraska. He'd do pretty well, wouldn't he? I would he'd think do so. He'd do all right. Yep. Yeah. What's your name? Yep. He, he'd do pretty well. Yes, now, absolutely. Uh, now, now, he may do pretty well, and, and uh, but I'm not so sure what uh, Cameron Juergens' his, his center would be able to uh, rake in. Right. I'm not. But Adrian would have to handle it in, the, in a manner that he can with his team. He's not going to suddenly leave to go pro because he can do car commercials in Lincoln, Nebraska. Right. Or that he could do uh, a barbecue store. Somebody goes to Misty's and does steak commercials. Maybe maybe you could get the front line at Misty's to be, uh, you know, your your spokespersons for, for <laughs> Misty. The, the bottom line is this is not that big of a deal. Right. And everybody's trying to make it Agreed. something that it's still not. Agree. But I can tell you that in a court of law, the NCAA cannot win. Right. They they can sue and they can try to stall what's going on in California all they want, but they're not going to be able to win when this goes to court. They couldn't win when Georgia and Oklahoma filed their lawsuit uh, in 1983 and was put into effect in 84. And by the way, for your listeners, there wouldn't be a game day. Uh, I started at ESPN in 85, the year after this happened. I, I, my career got going largely because of the act of 1984. There weren't many television jobs for sportscasters nationally. You either worked college football at ABC, or you didn't work college football at the national level. So you're going to tell me that was bad for the game? That right. that brought down right. college football? No, no, no. It yes. made college football flourish. Right. And, and, and put more games out there and created more jobs and opportunities. And, um, Countless jobs within athletic departments, by the way, uh, because they needed people in marketing and promotions because now all of a sudden they had control of their own destiny for the first time. Uh, so this 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 particular uh, item pales by comparison, in my mind, to that action back in 1984. So it's not the end of the world as we know it. Yeah. College football isn't going to go the other way. This This notion coming from... Indianapolis, that uh, the world is is never going to be the same, <laughs> right. and college sports is 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 going to die a hard death, and uh, the creation of uh, of uh, new leagues by the NFL because that's where the real players are going to go, and we're going to have two hundred and twenty five pound linemen. Just stop. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Tim Brando. He's going to be on the call. Fox, Spencer Tillman, Coley Harvey uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, Nebraska Northwestern. And what what I love about you, Tim, is what people are going to see. You still, so you said you started at ESPN in 1985. So what, 30, 30 plus years, you still have a love and enthusiasm for every single game you do. That is so cool to me because I still, I don't care if it's Creighton playing roast beef state on FS1. I am fired up to do it. And you, you just you have a love for what you do that I think shines through, and I just I I, I know everybody's going to see it on Saturday. I love it. Well, thank you. You know, I used to tell um, 
I still do tell young people. I, my first games I was calling down in Baton Rouge in 1979, first job I needed to keep, uh, I was calling high school football uh, on Friday nights, and um, I would bring up uh, the head coach at Southern. Head coach, Jerry Stovall was actually uh, uh, not the head coach Charlie McClendon was, but Jerry Stovall was finished second in the Heisman the Terry Baker back in, gosh, 1961, I think it was, uh, was working in the um, in the administrative offices at LSU. He would later take over when Bo Ryan's plane went down when he was hired to replace Charlie Mack in 79. And Jerry came out into the game with me. And uh, the guy that called Billy Cannon's run back, J.C. Bullets, uh, in 1959 came and worked with me. I would get these um, – guest analysts, guest color commentators to be with me on high school football. Yeah. And uh, we'd pick a game at each week. And we're doing it on like a 5,000-watt AM radio station. But all across Baton Rouge. And uh, I remember people telling me at that time, and fans and maybe some parents and uh, parents, uh, friends of their parents, gosh, we want to get, we, we have cassette tapes of your call from back in those days. And that's how much the, the broadcast meant to those people. And I tell people, I don't care how small the, the game, how small the station, how much the reach of the uh, cable network uh, you have, what you're doing matters a lot yeah. to a number of people. So you should approach every game as though it's the biggest game you've ever called. And that's what I did 40 years ago. And it's what I'm doing in 2019. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there'll be weeks from time to time, uh, not this week, but next. Uh, we'll, we'll have a game out, out west, and it'll be a Pac-12 after dark game. And yeah. someone will say to me, God, you know, who'd you piss off? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, the, and, and the facts are, I'm, happy, I'm privileged to be doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, so no matter the assignment, um, you know, there are always critics, especially in this world, uh, today's world. People want to try to say, well, so we may not be as big of a deal as you once were. No, no, I'm as big of a deal as I need to be because I'm doing what I love and I'm doing it with people I love. Mm -hmm. Spencer Tillman's my best friend. The people I work with at, at Fox are the best people I've ever worked for, and you understand where I'm coming from yeah, absolutely. when I say that. Um, so, so it's easy for me to sound fresh and vibrant when I'm doing something that I absolutely love. And... I'll always know this, that despite what anybody on the periphery may have to say, the people that are involved, whether it was some people in Plaquemines Parish in 1979 <laughs> listening to me do a, a Lee High School versus Plaquemines game, or uh, Northwestern against Nebraska on Fox on, on Saturday, there are so many people that care so deeply about what I'm doing uh, that I have to, for them, do the best possible job that I can. And I have them in mind when I'm doing my work. And I, that's been my, that's been my mantra since the beginning. And, uh, and it'll be that way until they tell me I can't do it anymore. God, cool. And and by the way, that's, what's going to happen with me. That's right. <laughs> uh, hey, Tim, that's uh we went almost uh, gosh. Uh, I mean, 50 minutes, 55 minutes with you. I know you're super busy. Really appreciate your time and insight. Make sure you don't bring a thunderstorm with you and have a great call, my friend. You got it, Nick. A pleasure to be with you and look forward to being with you at least a couple of times this winter. I hope so. I hope so. Thank you, Timmy B. Okay, man.
Tschüss.